0: Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, is looking to see how artificial intelligence might be applied to the creation and maintenance of software, especially software controlling physical systems. It awarded a contract to a company called GramaTech to develop this idea for what it is and why it's important. We turn to GramaTech's Vice President of Research, Alexei Loganov. Dr. Loganov, good to have you on. Great, thank you. Great to be here. So precisely what are you doing for TARPa under this project? A great question. The focus of this program
1: is to try to help subject matter experts maintain and modernize cyber-physical systems uh, more effectively. Cyber-physical systems are systems where there's an element of cyber, software that controls physical aspects or hardware, such as like maybe a smart thermostat going up all the way to such something like a uh, nuclear power plant.
0: What in the industry they call SCADA.
1: Exactly. So SCADA is one of the
0: uh, important examples of CPS systems. And I guess there is a cybersecurity issue with the maintenance of the software too. Does that come into the project? Absolutely. This specific project is focused
1: more on modernization, but of course an important element of modernization could be uh, cybersecurity. So you try to figure out why is a system misbehaving? And if it's misbehaving, you first need to understand what's it doing and how could it be attacked. So that's an, that could be an element, absolutely.
0: And when you say subject matter experts couldn't deal with this under this project, that is to say, as opposed to software coding people? Exactly. As opposed to software coding people, and maybe
1: even what's uh, more complicated to get a hold of is reverse engineers. And cyber analysts that would break apart a system understand what it does now to help a physicist or a mathematician make the system adapt. Those are in short supply.
0: And some of these systems go back quite a few years and the documentation and the people that originally developed it might be long gone. And so then that's where the need for reverse engineering might come in. Exactly, exactly. You you know, the system is built, and in reality, in software,
1: when someone builds some piece of software, a few months later, you have to look at it again, you ask yourself, what in the world did you do there a few months uh, later? And when a system is in operation a decade or, or multiple decades, absolutely, this becomes a serious issue.
0: So you're looking to develop almost an agent that could understand the software in some automated way and then result in a methodology by which someone who's not a coder could make adjustments?
1: Exactly. So we uh, we are developing a kind of an AI and machine learning-based system uh, using a technology called transfer learning where we uh, try to analyze software. So we we build many, many, many examples of math converted to source code, and then we try to reverse this process. You know, if we're looking at a binary, say, okay, this must have been the collection of mathematical formulas implemented in this binary. When you say binary, just define that for the late listener. Binary is the actual executables, the actual zeros and ones bits that finally run on the computer. So normally code starts out being source code, then it's compiled by compilers into binaries, and then we try to go from that final version back up to the math that led to the creation of the source code and then the binary.
0: So, in some sense, you're building a flashlight to look into what is now a black box.
1: Exactly, exactly. And it's, uh, yeah, and binaries often do look like black boxes.
0: How do you go about that? I mean, I think of artificial intelligence as algorithms that learn as they gather data. What is the basic architecture of what it is you're trying to pursue?
1: We are taking many, many, many examples of mathematical formulas, combining them in many different complicated ways, creating source code out of them, compiling that to binaries. And then we create a correspondence uh, so that we can reverse this process so that in the future, when we see a snippet of binary code, we say, oh, this looked like the reverse of this example that we had seen before. And this is
0: an element of something known as transfer learning. We're speaking with Alexey Loganov. He is vice president of research at Gramatech, which has a contract with DARPA. And let me ask you this. A lot of agencies are dealing with modernization of code and systems that are not necessarily industrial controls or controlling the physical world, but are just logic systems that might have been programmed many, many years ago. Can this methodology potentially help with modernizing that type of code?
1: Absolutely. The world is full of binary code that uh, has been created many uh, years ago, in many cases many decades ago. The DoD, for instance, hangs on to systems that uh, operate for decades And uh, uh, the people that have created that code are long gone. And the problem is how do you modernize it to take advantage of new resources available or, much worse, new attack surfaces that are discovered?
0: Sure. So what you have described as a way of maintaining it, and that is to say that non-coders could maintain it and make changes, could this be extended to replacing the code with modern code in such a way that you don't have that black box anymore? Absolutely.
1: Uh, much of the effort at Grammatik is focused on binary analysis, as we call it. Uh, and an example is, for instance, finding that a component inside a system is let's say, an open source component in which a CVE, a dangerous vulnerability, has been discovered. We can find that fully automatically. In fact, we even have a commercial tool we started marketing recently, CodeSentry. And then we have technology that can allow us to snip that out and replace it with a more modern, safer version.
0: Got it, because I'm thinking of agencies like the IRS, which has assembler code in large quantities. And when they tried to convert it to another more modern language, all they got was kind of an emulation of it, but not something they could really easily maintain. And so that becomes the, the roadblock here.
1: Right. This can definitely be done better with appropriate uh, research and more modern technology. Yes, one can lift it to a higher level, replacing it potentially with more modern source code that does the same thing.
0: Now, your relationship with DARPA is a contract. It's not a grant or a research type of project. Are you really going to deliver a system that can do this?
1: Absolutely. And uh, I think in, uh, uh, so. DARPA has had a significant focus on trying to accomplish things, and uh, they're focusing on providing contracts to ensure that
0: the systems uh, get built that actually can help people. Because in DOD, we've talked about COBOL, we've talked about Assembler and so on, even old Java, for that matters. That's getting pretty long in tooth, some of that. But in the Defense Department, they have languages, to my knowledge, still running, like Ada and Jovial and all these really obscure languages developed to control systems such as weapon systems and fire control systems and all of this. Are they looking, do you think, to preserve those or to finally replace that logic with new code?
1: I think in due time, I would expect that all of that will get replaced. Uh, now, uh, what's interesting is that given how long these systems will last, they may w- replace it with, so to speak, very modern CC, but that ancient CC will then run 30 years from now. Uh, but the ADA is going away little by little, and so is jovial.
0: Yeah, because what do they say? The uh, final pilots of the B-52s, for example, are in their infancy now. They're still on bottles and diapers. And so you got to think long term.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Anything else we need to know about this? It sounds fascinating. I mean, how do you go about this? Do you have people coding AI algorithms that will then look at code? One of the big focus
1: points for us is actually to uh, find representative samples of CBS, CPS systems and then find lots of representative collections of mathematical formulas that we'd like to play with and then apply the training. So much of AI and machine learning is about finding a representative corpus of data and applying training on this ground truth, so to speak, the information you know for sure—that's one of the key steps in, in applying AI in ML.
0: You keep having to work the algorithm against the sample system until the binaries come out the same as the original. Right, or,
1: uh, or am I uh, simplifying? It, and maybe it, slightly, but it's 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 close to accurate. It's uh, you keep trying to apply to many different samples, and you say this mathematical formula uh, compiles to this binary. Now let me train the system so goes from that binary, it gets back that mathematical formula. And if it's able to reverse the process through training on many, many, many different samples, let's hope that the first time you see a brand new thing that you hadn't experienced before, you'll come very close, if not perfectly correct.
0: Got it. And a final question. We touched upon this briefly, but Are there cybersecurity enhancement possibilities in this technique?
1: Definitely. You can uh, find some potential escape hatches that shouldn't be there. You can find that, you know, let's say a mathematical formula has some funny discontinuity. If if it's, I don't know, let's say it computes that if the temperature is below some number, something good happens. If it's above, something good happens. And in this magic hole, something scary happens. So this is just a a silly example I can think of off, off the top of my head, but I'm if you find those problems, they could be they could be taken advantage of.
0: Alexei Loganov is vice president of research at Gramatech. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much. This was great. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com/federaldrive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.